0: Street, please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist. Hey. Hey. Hello.
1: Hello. 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 hello.
0: Hello. We're getting better at this. We're finally seeing that red red square in the corner of the screen to say you are live so hi everybody my name is Claire Kennedy I am the founder and CEO of um, Kennedy Street um, um, our new charity, which is, we've just received charitable status for, um, and this is my gorgeous husband. I'll let him introduce
1: himself. Hello, my name is Kevin Kennedy. I'm the patron of Kennedy Street. Uh, who, we are, who are we? Well, we are a peer-led charity, which means that everyone who works for us or volunteers for us has is in recovery, which means basically we have heard it all. Um, and if you need recovery or know someone who may be uh, in trouble at the moment during the lockdown um, or even coming out of the lockdown is, is, is very anxious, um, then we're the people to speak to. And because of the lovely lottery people, we have now a dedicated phone line, which is 01273 758 561. Or you can email us at claire. At kennedystreetcic.co.uk. Yeah,
0: thank you, Kev. Um, and like Kev said, you know, um, the purpose of our charity is to, to support people who, are, who have the hand up for recovery. Um, Some of our volunteers aren't in recovery. Kev just said all of our volunteers are in recovery. That bit isn't true. He doesn't know that bit. But we do have business volunteers who aren't in recovery, but who support the work that we do. So, yeah, we've got a real lovely selection of amazing people who come and get involved with our project. Um, So the reason why we do these talks every week um, is so we can help you as a as a an audience understand a little bit more about recovery and since the lockdown particularly i've been doing this sort of stuff in the community for 20 years um, supporting people into recovery yes. and um in the since the lockdown so for the last nine weeks um our call rate inquiry rate um, as a as a project has gone up from five inquiries a week to 20 in, 20 inquiries a day so you can see the level of need um, in just in that response and um, a lot of those people that are ringing in are family members so family members that are struggling with somebody else's addiction and um, i'm really passionate about this particular subject um That's where I started my my journey all those very many years ago um, was by asking for help. I didn't know that there was such thing. I didn't know family members were eligible for support or that there was anyone out there that might be able to help. And, um, What we want to tell you is that there is lots of support out there. And we've got an amazing um, lady um, come to have a chat with us today called Julie. And she's going to tell you a little bit more about Al-Anon. She's going to share her experience, strength and hope with you. And she's also going to tell you a little bit more about Al-Anon and um, what what and how Al-Anon can support you um, as somebody who might be affected by a a family member's addiction or even a friend's addiction, you know, because there's a lot of them affected by one person's uh, active addiction. So on that note, I'm gonna hand over to the lovely Julie and let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her story. So Julie, welcome to Kennedy Street Live.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Claire and Kevin, for inviting me. It's really kind of you. Um, so I'm Julie and I'm a very grateful member of Alanon. Um, I joined Alanon in 1993. Um, and a bit like you just said there, Claire, I didn't know there was help for family members. So my story is I grew up in what I now know to be an alcoholic home. My dad was a heavy drinker. I was the eldest of five girls. Um, and how that really played itself out in our house was that my dad would go out drinking regularly, often, daily. He'd disappear for weeks on end. And I would see my mum in great pain financially. She'd be upset there wasn't enough money, um, I guess now I know there would be a lot of shame. We'd be invited to things as a family. My dad would be disappearing. Um, Lots of embarrassing situations. You know, my dad was... um, He he was quite a funny drunk when he was out and about, but he wasn't in the home. In the home, he was volatile, aggressive, um, short-tempered, or didn't engage with us. That was one of the hardest things, he would not engage... But as a child, his sense of humour would embarrass me. He thought he was a comedian, a clown, centre of the stage. But as a young girl, I'd be really embarrassed, really embarrassed by some of his behaviours. And and all I could see was my mum's pain, that that my dad's behaviours impacted my mum and it caused nothing but pain. And I remember vowing I would never marry a man that drank. Um, I didn't like that, and I would not marry somebody like my dad. Um, I don't know what it was with my dad. If ever I had boyfriends or friends in the home, he'd be really like off with them, aggressive. So somewhere in my wisdom, age 17, I made a decision that the next man I met, I'd be leaving home with, um, and that's what I did. I met somebody at 18, and whether he knew it or not, I don't think he had much of a choice, but this this man was going to be my partner and I would work hard on making him my partner. Um, and I don't think he had a lot of choice in it. I, I captured him, that was it. I'd chosen him and he was to be it. And I believe this guy didn't drink. So we'd go to bars and clubs in Manchester and he'd get himself a little Rick Vic Orange. And I thought he was not a drinker because he told me he didn't drink. And because I now know I was like a codependent, I was broken. We met in September of 87. And by de- December of 87, we were living together. And by February of um, 88, I was pregnant with my first child. So barely really knew each other intimately. You know, I knew what I thought I saw Um I didn't really know him very well. But what I did know was that he was this big personality. He was well-known in Manchester. He knew all the doormen. Um, we never had a queue anywhere. We were taken to the front of the queue. Uh, life was very glitzy and glamour. Um, and, and for me, growing up in a family that had no money... This guy had money, and that was attractive. You know, I thought, I'm not going to have to worry about money. We're going to be okay. Um, But also, what I started to witness was when we went out and he drank, ultimately, there'd be some sort of violence, fighting, um, scuffles with people. Um, There'd always be something. There'd always be something. But I just thought, oh, it doesn't bother me. It's outside of the home who cares I then had my child and we were obviously living together and I quickly six months into having my first daughter I was pregnant with my second and those behaviours that were outside of the home started to tipple in the home but I never ever thought it was drink related, I'd grown up with drinkers so so my understanding was that's what men did real men drank, I was told that somewhere as a child and um, my uncles were rugby players they all drank and and that was the circle that you know men drank my granddad drank my my dad drank men drank drinking wasn't the issue what was the issue was was my partner's behaviours and if i could have waved a magic wand and stopped his behaviours i would have done um because i just i didn't understand and what also i didn't understand growing up in the family that i grew up in I didn't recognise I had choices. So somewhere in my mindset, I thought I had... um, The the, the message was, you've made your bed, now lie in it. So I had these two children. And I really thought I had no choice to make any changes around what was going on. And when I did make changes, or when I tried to voice changes to my partner, it was slight, dismissed and put down, and what do you know, and you know, we've got a business, or, or it was spun round, you know, look at all we've got, what, what are you not happy with? And I wasn't happy, I was desperately unhappy. Um I'd lost sight of who I was as a person, I I would measure how he was, so if he came in with, with a happy smile on his face, then I was going to be happy if he came in looking angry then I'd be angry if he was worried about something then I'd be worried about it and, and little by little drip by drip what I now know as codependency I completely lost sight of who I was you know I often share that in my first meeting of Alanon, the only thing I knew for sure was my first name was Julie I couldn't tell you what I like to wear what I like to eat what I'd like to read, what, what I'd like to watch at the cinema. I didn't know. It was all through my partner. What does he like? What does he like to read? Um, is that okay by him? Um, I was completely a shadow, really, of my former myself. Oh, what, I, what I knew desperately was that I was a mum and I didn't want my daughters to have the same upbringing that I'd had. Um, I just knew that for sure. Um, we often had police at our door because my husband seemed to thrive on fighting. He seemed to get a thrill from it. I think he was addicted to that as he was to drinking. And so we'd often have police at our door and nothing, in my opinion, seemed to stop him, nothing. In fact, I could probably say I know as many police stations in Manchester as I do the pubs. I've probably been to everyone to pick him up, to collect him, to bring him out. He'd be arrested, drunk and disorderly, and I'd be there to pick him up. He'd be arrested for drive him uh, drunk I'd pick him up collect the car so I constantly rescued his behavior and um, he had family business um, and he wouldn't turn in for work and I'd go in, in his place and his brothers would be going absolutely mad and I'd be going oh we just didn't feel very well so I'd cover for him often and um, because he'd be that hungover from the night before that I, I'd be covering and we'd probably been together five years um, and this isn't excuses, but, but different things impact different people. And he lost his sister um, in a car accident. And then he lost his dad, I don't know, nine months later. And, and his drinking increased. And in that drinking, his violence in the home began. Um, and I knew I couldn't stay and live with that. But I didn't know there was a way out. I didn't know what to do. I'd seen my mum with my dad for many years and my mum is still with my dad and I just thought I don't know there's something about Catholic upbringing that you've made your bed you lie in it this is your lot where do you go with two children what do you do how does it change I just didn't know I had options and, and that today makes me feel sad and um, that I didn't know. I really that that concept of choices and I, I could make a different decision wasn't in my world. Wasn't in my uh, awareness, um, and and I was sort of like a headless chicken. I could feel that I was becoming mentally ill. Um, they talk about insanity, and I was becoming insane. I was, I was um, anxious, um, sick and and then I'd become an absolute um fiery aggressive fighting um, I would control this behavior he would do as i said and 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 it was laughable I had no control but but that's sort of where the disease of alcoholism took me that i I was insane my whole world revolved around him, and what is he doing um and how was I going to fix him? And I, how was I going to make us happy? And if he just did as I said, things would be okay. But I never for a minute thought it was a drink, that that there that, that was the issue. Um, and at, at some stage, as I say, I, I felt desperately unwell. And somewhere in it all, because I didn't think I had choices, I considered suicide. I can remember thinking that that would be a way out. But actually the thought of leaving my daughters with him and his family was not an option. And the depths of, of pain and sadness and insanity and, and where it took me to, it crossed my mind to take the life of me and my two daughters. And, and and I pondered that for a while. And then I don't know what changed. And I decided the best option was to take his life and I began plotting regularly on on how to do that, and because of the circle that we'd mixed with, I'd asked um, a, a gunman to shoot him, and he wouldn't do that because he knew him, and that made me scared because I thought now he's going to go and report me to him. So then I began this mission of mashing um tablets in his drink and and hoping he would die. And I, I don't know why I did. I shared it with my mum, and my mum now is a member of Alanon, and she'd been a member for Alanon for two years. And she went white. She, her face drained in colour, and she said, "What in God's name are you doing?" So I was really annoyed with her because I thought, "Has she not heard what's been going on in this house for the last five years? She'd have done the same." And there was something in her face that thought, "Maybe this isn't normal. Maybe this is not okay. Maybe there's another way." And it was her that told me about Alanon. So I went to Alanon. And there was something in the meeting, they have a little book called Courage to Change. And I kept looking at this book thinking, oh God, I need this courage to change. It's, it's me that has to do something. I'm not a prisoner. I've been telling myself I'm a prisoner. I'm not a prisoner. I have choices. This is what these women are telling me. And I told these women what I'd been planning and what I'd been doing. And as I looked up, some of them were nodding. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm not on my own. I'm not the only one that's has this insane thinking that this is the only way to stop these behaviours that have been going on in my house. So within three months of me joining Alan, anon I left and went to um, a refuge, took my two daughters with me, and... um, I kept, I kept up the Al-Anon meetings and I kept knowing that it didn't matter what was going to happen, I was going to be okay. Because within those meetings, I saw hope. And there were people that were in worse situations than me and there were people that were in better situations than me. But they all had this common denominator that they'd lived with an alcoholic and all that chaos and craziness that alcoholism addiction brings that that lives are not normal when you live with that and and as a family member you're not normal i was not normal i was insane i was absolutely barking mad insane obsessed compulsive addicted to the alcoholic in my life and these other women were telling me that they had done the same and you know that that I, I was dreading it. I thought, oh God, when I leave here, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be arrested, and you know this is the end. But nobody broke my confidence in those meetings. In fact, the gate told me that I had choices that I didn't have to live with it. And it was that courage and that that strength that I was able to leave my partner. And um, my story was the house was in my name. It was mortgaged in my name, um, bizarrely, um, and. I had to go back to this house, so I went back to the house knowing that if my partner was to harass me, I had an injunction, and I knew if he was to harass me, then I would just move further away, and I would sell the property. Anyway, he continued to harass me, and police were involved, and one night of absolute hell. I'd been going to a place in Manchester called Damascus Road, a guy called Bonzo, and, and this man had said to me, I can't do anything to help you, but if your partner ever needs help, this place is he can go. So, this night of um, awfulness, violence, I um, phoned the police but I also passed my partner this this number of of bonzo and that was 1994 and that was the day my partner had his last drink and has been sober now for 27 years a day at a time um so the two of us, we, we were so well surprised, surrounded by people that loved us and cared for us, and people that walked before us in this Al Anon program that we began to be reparented almost by people of Al Anon and him, people of AA. And we caught it for a year of early recovery. I stayed in the house, and, and he stayed at his mum's. And we did what was suggested that we were to do. So we followed direction because what we we recognized both of us we're both very self-willed run riot types of people we've we know best and yet what we recognized is neither of us knew we were like fumbling in the dark um two children fumbling in the dark bringing up two babies and really not a clue real no clue so so i carried on working my Al-Anon program and uh, he worked his AA program, and we got married in recovery, we got married um, probably 18 months, two years into recovery, Um, and we work and surround ourselves in this 12-step program, so so we do what it says on the tin, because for me, I'd witnessed lots of dysfunctional, codependent relationships, you know, my mum's and my nana's, you know that song love your man that's what I saw role modeled that the men were kings in the family whatever a man said happened and and I recognize that didn't need to be and and my girls have been my driving force really often I often think is this is this right is it okay no it's not so I make those changes based on on some of that really so in recovery I realised that I was more than I ever thought I was. I um, studied. I began to study. I did a counselling qualification. I began to work in the addiction field. Um, And I began to get to know myself, which, you know, from a dysfunctional family, all I knew, my job was to care for others, to make other people happy. As long as they were okay, I was okay. And that happened in my home. You know, it was a great training ground for how to be in an alcoholic relationship because I witnessed my mum doing it, I witnessed my nanas doing it, I witnessed my aunties doing it. You know, my very first meeting I went to, I walked in and my auntie was sat across me and I couldn't work out why. Well, of course, why? My, my uncle needs recovery. You know, of course, why? This is a family illness. I have been impacted by alcoholism because it's a family illness. It runs in my family. It runs in my husband's family. So I need, like, daily maintenance. I, I need to carry on going to meetings. Um, Not because I'm scared that my husband will drink. Today, I really acknowledge my powerlessness in that. He will or he won't, but that's his business, not mine. But I go because I know of my defects of character. You know, I can be controlling, I can be manipulative, I can be dishonest and... Um you know, if I'm put in a corner, I can feel shamed and i come out fighting. So so I've learned, I've grown up in Alanon. I've learned different ways to interact with the world that are healthy, um, that are not blaming, that I can take responsibility for me. And, and that's something that Alanon has taught me, teaches me, um, allows me to be. Um, you know, they often say, I hear it say in the AA rooms, that it's life beyond my wildest dreams. It is for me, and Alanon. You know, I I look where I would have been. They talk about you know, for, for an alcoholic, these three places they go: institutions, uh, jails, or death. Same for me. I see my path. I, I see my path. I could have ended up in jail, prison, so easily. I could have ended up dead, and I could have ended up in some sort of mental institution because I, that that obsession, obsessing about the alcoholic. You know. My thinking was obsessive. I've done crazy things. I've took meals to him in pubs because he's not come home because that's what I thought a happy family would look like, a family that sat at a table and ate together. So I took the meal to the pub, only to be humiliated by all the rest of the drinkers around him because it's funny. I'm entertainment now at this stage, ranting and raving. You know, I, I've I've stalked him. I've done all sorts of crazy all sorts of crazy so I recognise my mental fragility really in living with an alcoholic and, and living and growing up with alcoholism so so for me Al-Anon is is going to be a lifelong program for me and today I, I do service I give it away I tell my story when I'm asked to tell my story because it reminds me of who I was and where I've come to and I'm not perfect, and I'm not special you know i'm I'm full of flaws um but i if I work this program on a daily basis, I'm a better person for it. I'm a nicer person for it um so I've so much gratitude to the Al-Anon program so much um and and it's good for me to be reminded really of how it used to be because it was dark, it was depressing. Um, and it was chaotic and I recognise I created some of that chaos and I used to think it was all him. I think stood next to an alcoholic, you look pretty pretty well brushed up. You know, for me, I'd be little Miss Sweet and smiling, aren't I good? And he'd be acting out like a wild man. I'd act out wild when it suited me. You know, I'd press his buttons I would use him, I would say to people if you don't do what I want, I'll tell him. I used him as a threat, you know, as a bargaining tool and and I know that today you know, that was my level of dishonesty But I, I was equally as badly behaved as the alcoholic was in my world. The difference was he seemed to be tenfold he seemed to be out there with it but, but I, I was cunning and baffling and manipulative highly so I'm aware of those behaviours and, and for me, I am grateful for the programme of Alanon that I will carry on working and doing to the best of my ability for as long as I can and, and I think service is a real gift to, to have been asked to share with you and I just thank you both for asking them for listening, so thank you. Amazing.
0: Thank you so much, Julie. Um, we've met before and you know I... I Admire you as a as a as a lady. I admire you as a mother, as a wife, um, as somebody who's in recovery who gives tirelessly. And I know that you give tirelessly. You know, acts of service um, to Alanon and to the wider to the community too. You know, um, amazing story, so inspirational. Um, we've got loads of really positive comments. I will show some of those at some point. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to say anything, Cath? Yeah. That um,
1: first. Off, um, first off, I'd just like to say thank you. Uh, it's always a privilege to hear uh, someone's story like that, um, and, and very brave and honest. And for me personally, that I mean, I've never, I've never been to an Al Anon meeting, um, and it's always been that AA and then Al Anon, mm-hmm. um, uh, almost regarded as the enemy somehow, which is obviously not true. And I've, listening to that story was, was just eye opening for me. Uh, your honesty was unbelievable. I never really thought of it from that angle before, from from your angle. I'm talking as personally as an addict, um, and I thought that was just a stunning, stunning uh, share, really. And f- from where where you've come from, I mean, it's that's, that is. Uh, I think I really. I mean, I'm so happy it had a it had a nice ending. You know, I was thinking, oh, where's this going to go? Oh no, no, this is going to be horrible. Um, you know, I was thinking, oh no. But I'm so glad that the the that it's all sort of come together again, and and your partner uh, has been in in good recovery for for a, a number of years now. Um, There's one question I do want to ask, though. Um, um, I was, I was, this, uh, a recurring theme during your show was you made your bed, which I think is a very common uh, common misunderstanding. Um, You know, you don't have to lie in your bed. You can change things. Uh, and, And I think that's very important for anyone who's listening uh, who's watching today? Who who is in, in in that situation you were in and that craziness of uh, I might have to kill my partner or kill myself or kill somebody, which is just lunacy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important and your message was very powerful. But the other thing I wanted to ask is, um, when you went to Al-Anon, um, were the were the men? in in the meetings as well
2: there is men absolutely there's fewer men than women but there is men and 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 i've met some men that shared similar stories to mine so yeah absolutely there is men and, and it's accessible for men definitely and i think men you know have the same issues living with addiction alcoholism as as women do and Maybe there's more shame around it for a man as well, you know, that the partners, women, might be alcoholic. Um, I, I think shame often stops people stepping forward. I know for me it was shame. There was somewhere in my thinking that I thought I was supposed to be a better wife, you know, or if I was a better wife, he'd come home earlier, Um so there's that shaming somehow. Now, I do think that came from my childhood. Um, and, and a denial, great denial that alcoholism was the issue. Massive denial, you know. It was everything else, you know. So I'd make up these little stories of what happy families look like. So a happy family was the, the man that'd come home and eat tea with you. And I used to say, you know, you just come home and have your tea first and then go out and drink so I had this illusion of what a normal family looked like um, and tried to enforce it. And it was madness. When I look back now, it's madness. I was clueless. I really was clueless. But you don't know what you don't know, do you? No. Uh,
0: you know, and, and I know for me, um, you know, my denial obviously kept and um, was in active alcoholism for uh, quite a great number of years. And even though I knew there was a problem, the last thing I wanted was to be married to an alcoholic. It was like the shame and the guilt. It was like I'd rather have been married to a madman. Yes. And that was the insane bit. And that's when you know, really, your thinking's not right. Yes. When you think, actually, you know, I'd rather be married to somebody who's totally deranged than somebody who's an alcoholic because the shame and the guilt and the stigma and all of the information that that's that's put out there about alcoholism we don't hear about recovery this is why the the purpose of our program and everything that we do at our charity is to to make recovery visible to tell the world that recovery not just for the addict but for the family members too
2: yeah yeah absolutely
0: you've done it job of of portraying that and you know and I, I am I, I'm so grateful and, and thankful that your story you know has got um a really positive you know life-changing story um and I know that not all stories are like that and yeah. I know people but do go to meetings that That really, you know, don't have a tale of um, transformation to tell about the addict. But what I do know is that people that do get some support for themselves start to change their narrative.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's what's really powerful about your story, Um, Julie. I think it's, you know, your transformation. You know, great that your husband got this amazing. Recovery too, and yeah. it, I think often people don't realize that they have a thought, they have a recovery, that they have a change to make. And and yes. it also and it starts with with acknowledging that actually we do have choices to make. Yes, and yeah, have to step up. There's a Absolutely. step, there.
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, you know, we have an opening in Al Anon that says, um, uh. You, you'll come to know happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not and i know when i left my partner i'd left him i didn't leave him and think maybe he'll get recovery in fact i didn't think still at that point that he was alcoholic people used to say to him oh oh you know maybe he'll get recovery and i used to go oh, no you no, you're not getting it it's it's not alcoholic it's it's evil is evil is bad it's it's not alcoholic because I couldn't compute I, the denial and the misunderstanding I had around alcoholism to me an alcoholic was what those men on the bench with you know even my dad wasn't alcoholic he drank all men drank so I just didn't understand what that alcoholism meant but, but Alanon was saying you'll find happiness whether the alcoholic is drinking or not. And I used to hang on to that. I used to think this is not about him now. this mm-hmm. is about me and and that from a child who at 10 was doing all the housework and um, taking care of my mum as, as a, a surrogate. Um, husband really in many ways and taking care of the babies i.e. my sisters I that revelation the idea of keeping the eyes on me was massive for me it was like oh wow this is all about me now this is new news and I guess that's where the change started for me this wasn't about anybody else what they were or they weren't doing this was about me and, and a freedom that I was allowed you know because I did, I acted like a prisoner. I acted like a prisoner. That, that, that's what had happened somewhere along it. And I hadn't been sentenced, and yet I couldn't go out of that house unless I'd seek permission or checked it out. I was acting like a prisoner, you know, and I had to do this. I had to go to work because it said so. When I, I had to do with the other because it said so. I, I really didn't believe I had any choice. And thats that was the scary part for me of, yeah. of this illness. And, and thanks goodness your mom introduced you.
0: I mean, um, to, to to Alanon. I mean, you know, the, the nature of the anonymous groups is that they are anonymous, and that's why um, Julie is giving this um, this testimony anonymously because of the nature of the groups. We, you know, try to respect other people's anonymity, and and as well family members. You know, it's really important. And hence the reason why we we are so visible and vocal about recovery, because we believe people need to know that that recovery is optional and that we it is available, and that if you're willing to put the hard work in, and you've just heard that the the lengths that that Julie had to go to to get well herself, and you know with no expectation of the her addict getting well, I think that's the critical for me that was so intrinsic with my getting better. Um, was that I had absolutely no expectation that anyone else was going to get better, no guarantees about anything other than if I was willing to put some work in and get, get invest time and energy in learning this new way of, of living life on my terms then um, you know, that was guaranteed but what I wanted to ask you as well, uh, because of the nature of the anonymous group, there's a lot of mystery around it and uh, so, I wanted to ask some questions that in my, I know a lot about Alanon, I know a lot about all the fellowships, but I wanted to just give the audience an opportunity to find out a little bit more about where Alanon has come from. So, um, we've come up with a few questions I hope you don't mind us asking. Um, if you can answer them, great. If you can't, then that's fine too. So, how did the fellowship of um, Alanon come about?
2: All right. Okay. So it's really exciting. So, so um, Al-Anon is the sister program of AA. So Bill W set up AA in 1935 and his wife Lois used to sit in the kitchen as all the guys, mainly guys at that time, Uh, there was a few women alcoholics but mainly men and would sit in the kitchens and have the meetings and and the women started to realize that they were sat sharing about the alcoholic so they were starting to understand the nature of the alcoholic the personality of the alcoholic but more importantly their personality. It's almost like we dance, it's almost like the AA is able to subconsciously find the Al-Anon and the Al-Anon subconsciously finds the AA that they can fix and caretake for and enable. So, from that, uh, Lois, Bill um, W's wife, and her friend, um, Ambi, created Al-Anon And we use the same 12 steps and traditions that AA use. So, so you know, AAs talk about defects of character. Al-Anon's talk about their defects of character. Our first step is we accept that we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. So whilst I was fighting and battling with my husband and his drinking, I wasn't accepting powerlessness. I thought I could change him. And when, when I stopped that and stepped out of that, change happened Differently than I ever imagined, so so yeah. So so Alanon started in 1951, um, and AA started, I think it was thirty in 1935. So so we've branched. We're a sister fellowship of AA. We use the same um, steps and traditions. Amazing,
0: amazing, yeah, yeah. and And um, so you've answered my second question, which is how long's it been running? So it's been started in 51, and. There's a lot of so people that do hear of Alanon and AA, there's um people I often hear this all of the time. Oh, I'm not going I'm not going there. It's all about God. Mm, yeah. A really big, a huge, big stigma about yes. the word God. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about that, please?
2: Yeah, and, and when you read the twelve steps, God is in most of them. Um, so it, so I get why people initially who haven't been inside the meetings would be put off. It's not a religious program at all, but it is a spiritual program. Um, so we talk about God, uh, finding a God of your understanding, and that literally is what that means, a God of your understanding. So initially people might use God and think good orderly direction, or I've heard him say a group of drunks, mm. Um but for me there's something about because I was so um self-seeking in a way even in my caretaking it was all about making me feel better so so it's something for me about just looking outside of myself you know out of my own self-will and looking for guidance and that can take its sh- shape and form in any way so for me initially my god was was the group of other women that had been through a similar experience and I sort of trusted that they were saying the best for me um and and then slowly slowly I developed a relationship with a god of my understanding but when I first went to al I was brought up a catholic and because of the lifestyle I was living I was filled with guilt and shame and I just thought God won't want me in there. You know, I'm so shitty that there's no way I'm going to be accepted by this God thing. But actually, it's nothing to do with a church God, a religion God. It's to do with a spiritual way of of living. And and it does require change to work this program of recovery. It is asking us to change some of our thinking, some of our behaviours. So, yeah, it's a spiritual influence, you know. Um, which feels very different to me than a religion. Yeah. And I that
0: think, makes sense. I think it does make absolute sense and, and perfectly explained um, because I know that is one of the big, big things that people come up me with and you know i'm not going there it's a religious thing and it's like when you explain to them that it's not actually a religious thing it's a spiritual program um that looks at your mental physical and spiritual condition which is it's you know a threefold condition isn't it it's It's all elements of our life, And why on earth would you not invite an, a power greater than you to get you some, to give you some help? And the power of the group is a really, I think that's such an important part of the journey. Because we, we do need to connect, you know. We spend a lot of time disconnected from
2: ourselves. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think that the shame of living with alcoholism, the isolation that begins to happen, you know for me I felt I didn't fit in the world I felt so different I felt everybody knew about my, my husband's behaviours and were judging him if they weren't I was and and you know as a child I didn't have friends over because we felt different I felt different uh, nobody else's dad acts like that so little by little that disconnect from the world feels and, and trust I didn't trust anybody nobody was trustworthy around me um, and that wasn't true but that's how i felt how could i trust anybody I didn't trust myself no. um so yeah it's about that reconnection with some sort of spiritual presence being um a greater god isn't it greater god
0: yeah it's better and bigger than all of us that can help in some way shape or form. And, and like you say if that comes through somebody else who's been but down that road before you, you who know, got a level of sort of freedom? It's like you know you hang on their coattails, don't you? Sort absolutely. of absolutely. They've got what I want, so I'm going to talk about with them. Yeah,
2: I saw hope in people. I thought they are that some of these people are still living with active alcoholism, active addiction. I want what they've got, and it was hope, and it was smiling and laughing, and yet they were still living in the same. Dire Straits, I thought, no, I I want a little bit of what they've got and the saying it's available to me. I don't have to do anything spectacular. I just have to rock up each week to these meetings, show up, be there, be present and listen and trust, Um, yeah.
0: And commit, I think, as well. I think for me it it was really important that I understood that going to one or two meetings of any fellowship is not going to work no it's just not going to work you're going to get a little bit of information or misinformation because you always listen to the the, the differences at first you don't know to listen to, for the similarities yes. and it takes repetition it takes going back it takes commitment to to wanting and i think that's often comes in the shape of the gift of desperation it's yeah. like you know yeah. your life was in a desperate place and yeah you are willing to, to to keep going and keep learning and keep listening. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's yeah. so important. Did you want yeah. to ask something Kevin? I'm yeah. rattling. I've got to forever. <laughs> oh, I
1: can't hear
2: you. Can't hear you.
1: Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. yes. I just wanted to reiterate what, you know, what this is about. If people have just joined this a bit late, if you're, if you're um, we've just heard Jill's story, which is absolutely amazing and very powerful. But if you just tune into this and your partner, um, their drinking or or drug use is, is affecting you and your family, then there's somewhere for you to go. You haven't made your bed and you don't have to lie in it. And it's Al-Anon and it's underneath here. Um, Uh, please get in touch or get in touch with us and there's a few great, some great messages Uh, thank you Jane
0: let's show some of these these. we've got oh I'm going to to show them here we go, we've got um, Jane who's saying I'm going to let my husband watch this thank you so much Um, fabulous as always that's really kind, thank you Jane
1: can I just interrupt and and Julie uh, if you get in touch with us uh, we, we definitely can help you uh, we won't put your message up, obviously, but uh, please get in touch. Uh, and thank you for, for uh, reaching out. Um, that's a brave thing to do. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean, you struck a chord with a lot of people, um, Jules. Mm. You know, and that's the beauty of what it is that you're doing, you know, and, and your generous heart and coming and being of service, talking your truth. You know, people people don't fully understand that that's why... Um, when you've been given the gift of recovery, that a huge part of it is um, sharing that with others. so they too can take those
1: tentative steps. Yes. Uh, yeah uh, can just ask a question has this lovely recovery? has that trickled down to your daughters as well?
2: Yeah, it has. I mean, both my daughters... Oh, this is something, I guess, that might be important. Both my daughters attended Alateen. So Alateen was set up by Al-Anon for children of alcoholics. So that was a great support because, although my husband's in recovery, there is traits and, you know, and, and the children of alcoholics. So it was really important for me that they got support when they were young, a place to talk about what... Because they were different, again, because they had a dad that was in... AA, which meant um, they were different than some of the girlfriends. Their dad didn't drink. We didn't do things that some people would do. So it was important that we embrace it as um, a family illness that's in recovery. So so there's also Alateen. Yeah. Um, would you tell us a
0: little bit more about Alateen? Um, yeah. We don't yeah. have Alateen in Brighton. I think they used to have Alateen, but I, th- I don't think that um, they, they could grow the fellowship. So they don't have Alateen anymore in Brighton. But could you tell us just a little bit more about Alateen,
2: please, Julie? Yeah, of course I can. So, so anybody anybody over the age of 12 is allowed into an Alon meeting if there is no Alateen in their area. Um, so if a 12-year-old wanted to go to an alon meeting, they'd be more than welcome. Um, um because we have so few our team meetings, but our team meetings used to be run by uh, sponsors, um, Al-Anon sponsors, There'd normally be two Al-Anon people in the room and, and they would just share. So, so young people would be able to go and share their worries. So parents might or might not be in recovery, but they would be able to share their concerns and the impact of growing up and living with um, an alcoholic and how that impacted them. So it'd be a real safe sharing space for young people. Um, and that that's somewhere where my girls went to um, and have been to Al-Anon. On occasion, um, they don't attend regularly, and that's okay. Um, but I hear them talk a, a program of recovery, and they challenge me when they know that I'm not. People <laughs> <laughs> talk them well sometimes. Oh, yeah. My girls are the same. Our girls are
0: into yeah. an hour. An hour yes. but, but they know recovery. Yes,
2: absolutely, they pull us all the time, don't they, Cath? Yeah it's like because i think my dysfunctional behaviors are so outrageous to them you know when, I, when i'm not on track when i'm not working a spiritual program it's pretty obvious to people around me and they're quick to tell me <laughs> right, it's fine and do you know what's beautiful
0: as well, which i think i mean my our kids i always say my kids when i'm telling you something really fabulous about them and, <laughs> and but really our kids the um, yeah, our kids are that they they speak about recovering with no stigma they don't mm. they don't look at the shame and the guilt it, it's completely missed them they talk about mommy and daddy being in recovery being recovering addicts and alcoholics and and you can see the look on their the friend's faces they go you know it's like yeah. i can't believe that you've just said that yeah. uh, but it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Our kids know more about recovery than, thanks God, than than addiction. But they think
2: recovery is normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's great.
0: It is great. And the more information that's out there, the better. Um, yeah. Did you want to ask anything else, Kev?
1: I just wanted to say, yeah, uh, thank you very much, really. Um, and I, you've reached a lot of people today with that story. Um, and I just again I can't thank you enough it's uh, brilliant thank you
2: thank you for asking me it's been my privilege and honour. it really has and I just think if it helps one person listening and I I just think I wanted to say as well that for people that are listening that it's just something about uh, I've done nothing special to get here other than go to a meeting Uh, you know I don't just thinking when I was like I was 25 when I went to my first meeting. I felt like worthless on the floor. I would look at people like you two and think, oh, it's all right for them too. They've got it made. You know, they're together. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, my esteem was so low. And and I think that's the starting point, really, for people that, you know, you'd be made very, very welcome. That There's no story that can't be helped in Al-Anon that that it's so embracing to us all um and it's not judgmental and I don't think there's any story that would shock that we've not heard before you know everybody is welcome
0: yeah so if if there are people watching this um amazing interview and and just you know really getting a lot of identification and they want to they want to reach out how would they go about? during the pandemic it's a bit different i know but how would if somebody watching and they want help how would they go about getting some help julie, julie?
2: yeah well that website you've put on there um would take them onto the alan website uh, there's lots of zoom meetings going on in different areas and it's great for people so if people you know wanted to remain anonymous didn't want to expose their alcoholic in their world you could come over to Manchester and do a meeting, and nobody'd know you. Um, and you know, vice versa. So it's quite accessible at the minute. It's something great about it. Um, I'm happy to pass on my number if anybody wanted to contact mm-hmm. me. I'm more than happy to do that. Um, but that number there is a starting place. Uh, looking at Alan on, and I could try and send some Zoom meeting lists over to you both too. Um, mm. I, could, I could do
1: that. But I'll just say it's not just Manchester this as well, it's, it's nationwide. Yes. Yeah.
2: worldwide. It's worldwide, isn't World, it? Yes, worldwide. yeah it
0: is. And yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing, this is why I'm really passionate about all of the fellowships that we do have because for me, you know, there are lots of treatment centres, there are therapists, there are this, and I think they also have a purpose, don't get me wrong, I really yeah. do think these places are absolutely critical, but in the in the lot in the long game, the in the big plan, you have yeah. to have continuity in care. You have to have maintenance. Yes, yeah. maintenance. maintenance. You need to have yeah. people. You need to have those people that that love and care for you, and that you can start to build relationships with and friendships with. And um, it's I, I I think the fellowships are really really really. Um, you know under advertised i understand that not everybody wants to get the message out there but Mm. we want to use this platform to get the message out there that you know there are some amazing fellowships and like julie said this is global i had somebody reach out to me on a telephone call um, a direct message it was actually off, off the back of one of these talks and this guy was in peru um and he was struggling with alcoholism. And um, within half an hour, I was able to virtually connect him to Alcoholics Anonymous in Peru. Mm. Um, and some, the, the person that we connected him to actually lived half an hour away from where he lived in Peru. It was just unbelievable. So, And there's nowhere else you could do that, doesn't no. there? nowhere And I know I could do the same with with Alanon. I could reach out to mm-hmm. you who might know somebody. If somebody rang me from America, I know you'd probably know yeah. somebody in America.
2: <laughs> it's great, yeah. Al- It is. It, it is. It's fab. And it's free. You know, that's the other thing. It's free you know and there's no register you come and go as you please nobody's going to say why have you not been back or you should be here you come and go as you choose you take what you like and you leave the rest it's it's perfect yeah Yeah.
0: and it's very empowering i mean Mm. you know that autonomous decision where you go you know what actually i'm gonna choose to do something to help myself that itself is so power empowering um Is amazing you know yeah. isn't it and you get to meet beautiful people like julie and and mean, more beautiful people because i you know there, there's a lot of them out there who are doing great work and and like you say it's free but it's it actually free too so it's
2: free, Absolutely. And free it's priceless it is it's like the gift of serenity that you receive from it is huge huge amazing
0: thank yeah. you so much Julie. thank really- you Loved having uh, Kev's. it's open Kev's eyes. He's often wondered what goes on in those allanometers.
2: <laughs> You'll have to come and see. You have to come to our open meetings. Come and have a listen. You're welcome. <laughs> Send it before
0: we go, Kev.
1: You're on silent. I keep keep forgetting to do that because I was listening so intensely. I keep forgetting to put my mic. On. Um, I just want to again, you know, say thank you and and. And if you're struggling, all the help you need is is underneath, and it's free. We don't we don't want anything from you, um, nothing. We just want to uh, to help you as, as as well as we possibly can. And uh, it's important to reiterate that that you know we we, we just we just want to help. That's all
0: yeah we can connect people and you know we've got great um Ju- julie's just an amazing um public information on on alan um but there's lots of other comments of you know people this is this I people are identifying with with our talks and we do get a lot of um direct messages and a lot of um emails and phone calls off the back of these talks so please do feel free to reach out to us. Like Kev said, what we offer is um absolutely free. We we look to connect people to amazing resources like AlAnon and AA and there's other fellowships as well, family members is CoAnon, this PamAnon. There's lots and lots of support out there. You just need to know where it is and how to how to access it and we can help connect you to those amazing groups. So Thank you so much, Julie. Um, we've loved having you. We would love you to come back anytime. time. Um, and thank you for thank you for your honesty and for your thank inspiration. You. Lots thank, of you for thank, thank you for me. Thank you. Nice to see everybody. See you again
2: soon.
0: You too. Bye bye.
2: Kennedy Street.
0: Please visit kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery is possible.